welcome to Dads, Daughters, and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean, the dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Pay yourself first, pay yourself first, pay yourself first. What am I talking about? <laughs> Welcome to Dad's Daughters and Dollars, and, and I will stop singing now because I have mercy on our listeners. Um, <laughs> we have not talked about, we maybe in, in general terms, but we've never done an episode about pay yourself first, which is like one of the probably top 10 commandments of personal finance. So I wanted to go over it in this episode, and then after we take our break, I'm going to tell you about someone I know who had a personal experience and how that's gone. And I'm extremely happy the way it turned out. So let's talk about first what pay yourself first is. Um, Pay yourself first means that you're going to pay your own like savings accounts and retirement accounts and whatever else stuff like your life insurance, um, uh, your long-term disability care and emergency fund, those would all be considered paying yourself first. Uh, so, Caitlin, I know that you've had the experience of, uh, you know, trying to save and budget, and you went on your own budgeting uh, app. I forgot, are you on Mint? Yeah, I'm on Mint. So paying yourself first means you consider almost as a mandatory expense making sure that money comes out of your account before you pay any of your other expenses. So like rent and electricity bill and stuff like that. None of that gets paid before you pay yourself first, whether that is a certain amount of money is going into your emergency fund, it's going in your retirement account, whatever. And the nice thing about this is you can so automate it. Um, so like for instance, if you're going to pay into your savings uh, account, uh, savings then becomes what you would consider a mandatory expense. And then you set it up with your business. I want to have a certain amount of money taken out of, let's say your checks are given to you physically or they're deposited online. You can have a separate account that's just a savings account and a checking account. So let's say the majority of your money, if your check was $1,000 a week, you could make sure that $1,000 of that $500 is going into the savings portion of your two bank accounts and 500 is going into the checking. And then let's say you pay your bills twice a month. So by the end of the month, you would have $2,000 in checking and 2000 in savings. And you can set it up to do that automatically. So that by the time you get your check, it's already been deposited in the savings account. So you're not in a position to like, well, it all went in my checking. So that's like free money to spend as opposed to, no, let me save for me first. And then, you know, the bills will get paid. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, there's two main expenses when you're doing save yourself first, there's mandatory expenses. So these are bills that have to be paid, like your rent, electricity, food, uh, medical costs, student loans, things that you might need to do your work, like having an internet connection. Those are mandatory. 
you can't live without those. They're basically necessities or uh, needs, right? Then there's discretionary right. expenses. So those are variable. They don't have to be the same amount each month. Like how much do you eat out? How much do you go to the movies? Uh, how much do you spend on clothing each month or uh, new electronics or your TV streaming accounts or a gym membership? Those things are discretionary. So if you did join the gym and you have to pay a certain amount each month, that sort of is like, okay, I have to pay that. But if you were eating out three times a week and that came to 12 times a month, if you're eating out nine times a month, you've adjusted your spending, right? Because it's not mandatory, right. but to live in a certain place, a mandatory expense would be your rent. And the way you review these things is you get your credit card bills or your bank statements and go through and look at what's your average spending each month. And, it, you know, it becomes a lot simpler that way if you, you know, just break it down for one month and then figure out what exactly is a mandatory expense and what's a discretionary expense. All right. So what I'm going to do now, because this is becoming sort of a pop count episode, is I'm going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we tell you how most people figure out how much, determining how much to pay yourself. And then we'll take you through a, a real live example of uh, a person we know that uh, did the pay yourself first and how it turned out. So we'll see you right after the break. Okay, so we're back and we're talking about paying yourself first, one of the probably top 10 commandments of personal finance. And it's the idea of making sure you pay your own savings and investment, maybe retirement accounts first, before you pay any of your bills. That's what paying yourself first is, that you're looking out for your future, you're looking out for your emergency fund, you're looking out for you before you pay any of your bills. And if that money yeah, is... Yeah, if you can... Go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say, if you can learn to live without, um, like, with $200 less, that $200 is going to make money faster than technically... Anything you um, can do. Anything you can do because money makes faster than, than we do, um, especially in the market. So if you can learn to live with, like, okay... like however much you feel you can set aside and then you get used to just, okay, yeah, that's, you know, I've automated it. It's going, it sets you up for the long run. Right. All right. So now how do you determine how much to pay yourself? I mean, like, what would you think? Well, so that's the thing is that I don't have mine automated. I probably should, but for me, I, I just have a certain amount. I've hit in savings that I go, this is what I have, you know, liquid in savings, not in my retirement. When I hit that point, I know either the rest of it goes towards rent and the rest of it, you know, maybe goes towards some other expenses I have. I try and keep them low, but, um, the rest of it, I just go, okay, yeah, let me put in X amount into, you know, you know, the S and P 500 that I have. Right. Um, it's not really much more complicated than that, but you asked me the amount. So, but yeah, so, but here's the thing. And I think the way you're approaching it is very smart, which is you're in the same boat as mommy and I, which is if you're freelance, you could work for six months straight and then not work for three months. 
So for yeah. you to say I'm automating that $400 every month is going into my retirement account is hard to do if you know, wow, in three months, I might not work for three months. Right. So it just, you have to be more disciplined when you're freelance and go, okay, I have an extra 2000 in my savings account and it's above above and beyond my emergency savings and I have plenty to pay my bills and my checking. Should I invest this? And then that you, you make that choice on a, you know, maybe a monthly basis. You know, what's left? Should I be putting this money to work? If you're on a steady income, like you have an employer and this is what you get paid, there's a, if you look on the internet, most people will talk about what's called a 50, 30, 20 approach. And that means 50 goes towards mandatory expenses. And that would be rent, electricity, food, student loans, your internet, stuff like that. Mandatory. You can't maybe live without them. 30 would go towards discretionary expenses. That's the things that are like entertainment, eating out, TV streaming service, a gym membership, whatever those. Those are, you don't have to have, but you know, you would say, okay, 30% would go towards that. And 20% would go towards your monthly income and savings um, and debt repayments. So that would be retirement account. Um, if you have to buy uh, some sort of life insurance, uh, a health savings account, uh, your emergency fund, that type of stuff. So I disagree with the 50, 30, 20 approach. I think it's got to be a minimum of 50, 25, 25. And I'm going to give you an example. So if you had $4,000 a month monthly income, so $1,000 a week to make this simple, 50% or $2,000 would go towards your mandatory expenses. That's 50% of $4,000 is $2,000, and that would be for rent, electricity, food, maybe paying off a student loan, your internet, right? 25% or $2,000 would go towards um, necessities. So that would be like, um, you know, discretionary things that are more of a, uh, what do you call, like your gym memberships, your TV streaming accounts and stuff like that. And then $1,000 would go, no, of the remaining 2000 1000 would go to each, one to discretionary expenses and one to savings like retirement accounts. Because the more you can lower... The discretionary expenses, the more you're closer to reaching financial independence. And why is financial independence important? It just gives you choices. It gives you choices. If you have a family with three kids, you have choices where maybe one person doesn't have to work of the two parents. Um, You have choices in terms of like, I I really dislike my job and I want to make a career choice and change careers. I realize I'm not going to get maybe as high a paying job as I previously had uh, for 18 months. So I'm going to have savings that's going to give me that financial independence to go. I don't have to have something for 18 months. You know, that's why that stuff is important. But I believe in the 50, 25, 25 approach. So 50% towards mandatory, 25% towards, uh, you know, discretionary stuff, and 25% would go into your savings like retirement accounts, 401k, stuff like that. Um, So let's talk about automating. 
and I'm going to give you a real life expense uh, uh, experience that I just went through. So your cousin that you know called me and said she's wanted to do a Roth IRA and could I help her set it up? And because I sort of, you know, extolled the virtues of Schwab and how helpful they've been to me. I you should that, just you should be paid with how much you promote Schwab, but yes. Well, yeah, maybe we need to talk to them if they want to be a sponsor for the show. So, <laughs> no, honestly, so I I called the Schwab person and we got a Roth IRA account set up. So what is happening for your cousin is that she wanted to put two hundred dollars a month into her IRA. So I believe it's something like. $300 from her account, so there's always a little bit of a pad, $300 from her account each month, her, like, uh, checks, automatically is taken out, and she doesn't even see it, and that money is sent to Schwab, and it just sits, in, and it sits in her Roth IRA. Now, it's not invested yet. It just, or you know, so it's sent there, I think, twice a month, like $150 after two weeks and $150 after another two weeks. Then on the right. fifth of the month, Schwab automatically invests it in a Roth IRA that's in the total stock market index because I had recommended index funds and she was a little bit, you know, fearful of like, I don't know anything about investing. Can you help me? So I suggested an index fund. So I know it's been like four months now and she has $800 invested and she has, I think, about 100 to $300 in pad that's just sitting in the Roth IRA not invested yet so that there's always money there ready to be invested on the top of the month just in right. case she ever lost her job. She'd have probably two months worth of pad before they'd go, hey, there's no money to invest. You know, this is automatically on the fifth of the month. And I know Schwab was giving her a choice. You can pull down when you go into the automatic investing and all these brokerages do this. They usually give you like five choices. Do you want to invest the money quarterly, which is every three months? Do you want to invest it um, twice annually, like two times a year or on the fifth of the month or on the 20th of the month? And we suggested the fifth of the month because that means the money is being invested sooner. So right. I believe she has $800 in her um, index fund. And I said to her, since it's being done automatically, don't even look at it. I mean, you know, come back when you're 40 and then say, oh, I made a really smart choice. And when you start making a larger salary and maybe you can afford 300 a month, the closer you can get to maxing out your Roth IRA, the closer you're getting to financial independence. But she said, I love not having to think about it. The money's just not even in my check when I get my check. So if she was getting a thousand a week, she's only getting eight hundred. And she doesn't miss the two hundred because she doesn't see it. She just all right, I'll live on what's left. And she has learned to do that and she's becoming a really, really good budgeter. So I think she's well on her way and I'm so happy for her because I told her like I told you, the thing that her secret weapon is how young she is that she now has that time on her side, that by the time she's 65, I will be in a state of shock if she's not worth at least $1.5 to $2 million. And that's on the conservative side, just from putting that money away each month automatically. 
Well, I certainly hope that's the case. The thing I'll say is that um, automatic payments are, it's actually something I kind of meant to mention before. Automatic payments, I think, are a blessing because the sentiment I've got from like people my age, even people who are like, you know, not, not that much older than me, but maybe in their 30s who haven't necessarily started investing yet because like we were never really taught. It's like something you have to teach yourself, but it's pretty intimidating because it's your money. You know, it's like, what right. am I doing with my money? I have no idea what I'm doing. But if you've learned, you know what you want to invest in and then automatic payments do it for you, you don't have to think about it at all. And I think most people, I shouldn't say most, um, we are kind of a little bit in a gig economy, but um, I think a lot of people who do have nine to five jobs, it's like an easy way to do it. I wish I could have auto payment set up. I don't have any of my credit cards on auto pay. I don't have any of the investing on auto pay because I am freelance. Although another thing I meant to mention earlier was that, you know, dad, you're, we're both freelancers, but I think our freelance is slightly different. I could be hired one day of the week for um, editing or for a random gig and then not get any work for a month. Right. But because of the way just the photography industry is, and once you get to know enough people, it, you know, eventually, okay, maybe I only have three things this month versus like no shows that need any first ADs right now. No shows need any directors right now. Right. And then you literally don't have work for a while. I feel like, you know, in show business, it's like you have weeks of work and then you have months off of work versus photography. There's always something happening. Right. But, um, that's, it's, it's the, and just in terms of, you know, setting up auto payments and retirement and all of that stuff, we, we are in the same boat in that, um, we can't set up auto pay like, um, we, you know, you helped do for my cousin. So I'm, I'm happy that you think those are the numbers that she's going to accumulate. That's great. Yeah, without a doubt, because it'll be over 40 years. Now, here's something you should could consider. Even though you're freelance, because you have a good chunk, you have more than six to nine months worth of savings, emergency savings. You yeah. could technically, because I know your Roth IRA is already maxed out, you could technically... Um, invest money in just your regular brokerage account. And the way you could do it is, okay, $200 a month is going to go in there. So I know you that would come to $2,400 a year. I know you put in more than $2,400 into your brokerage account to invest yeah. a year. But you could have that 200 going in every month because you have- On a, top of potentially more if I feel I'm in a position to add more. Exactly, because you could have this basically this pad. Let's say you, I'm going to just throw these numbers out there. Let's say you have $8,000 in your emergency savings, but you really only need 5000 So then you go, oh, okay, um, I have $3,000 pad. So I'm going to let them take $200 of this every month and put it in my brokerage account. And then that's automatically invested into, let's say, the S&P 500 or whatever index fund. And then... On a, uh, what do you call a uh, manual basis, you could go, okay, I'm adding $4,000 in August because I had a really great August. And you could still add it. So once it's set up automatically, you could still do it manually. But just a, a small, reasonable amount 
Like, you know, there's no way if I have $3,000 patent here, over the year, I'm going to add to that emergency savings as slowly the 200 comes out each month. You know what I'm saying? So you could do an auto and a manual, and that's an option. Yeah. So, but that's how pay yourself first, and you're 1,000% right, and the same thing that your cousin said, which is no one teaches us this stuff, and it's true. There's There's no school, like middle school, high school, um, college. If you learn economics, you're learning grand theories. You're not learning how to do some basics in terms of taking care of yourself, investing, passive income, stuff like that, how to get a mortgage. You're not taught those general things. And then people are out there trying to figure it out and sometimes making mistakes. So I'm thrilled that we started this you know, podcast two years ago because we're getting a lot of great feedback. And I know that sometimes when we talk this out, you'll ask a question. I'm like, what a great question. But that would have never come up if we didn't do the podcast. So um, I well, thank you. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the economics classes. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. I've taken three. And you're right. It's all just, uh, you know, a ton of general stuff. I think maybe the S&P 500 is mentioned a couple times as it's sometimes the, you know, meter for how the economy is doing. Like if the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones are doing well, like, you know, probably the economy is doing well. Like they're, you know, scholars and whoever decides this stuff has, you know, determined that they are, um, they're related. But um, I, you know, nothing has ever been taught like, okay, here's what Schwab is. Here's what Vanguard is. Here's what, you know, Raymond James is. Here's what all of these different, you know, brokerages are and what they do and what they can do for you. Um, You only ever, you know, in my experience, if I didn't have you, all I would see is like, you know, oh, look, this is a, you know, commercial two couple, there's like a couple and there's a, someone who's talking to them and speaking to them and they're looking over like, these travel plans that they want to do and the, now that they're in retirement. And it's like, you never really know what that means because you immediately see that it's an older couple and you're like, okay, well, that, that's not me. And right. you do now because it's a commercial. There is no, I would know nothing if I didn't either, you know, if your parents don't have that education, haven't educated themselves or you just don't know. So I'm, I'm super grateful for this podcast too. And hopefully you know, besides obviously my cousin, hopefully some more people have started investing um, since listening. Well, and I'll tell you my reason for starting the podcast, not only wanting to pass on whatever information I had to you, I was never taught it by my parents. So this is my response to, oh, I can't believe I missed 30 years of investing. So granted, let's say I'm not invested in the stock market when I'm one years old. But if I had started at eight, and had a 22-year jump before I started at age 30. And at 30, I knew close to nothing. And at 40, I knew a lot more. And by 50, I knew a ton. So I'm like, well, wait, what if I help Caitlin subtract 20 years from the starting out? How does this work process? Or even just beating, you know, someone who gets out of college and becomes curious. It's like, you should know before you get out of college. So... Um, again, I thank you for doing this podcast. I hope everyone got something out of pay yourself first. Um, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.